You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. John chapter 4 is where we're going to be at this morning. We're going to be camping out in John 4. And as you turn there, I just want to share a a quick story, a, a little bit of history of who I am. There was a season in my life, not too long ago, where I would have considered myself a runner. Now clearly, that season has come and gone. And I am no longer a runner. But when I was, and I was running races, there were always the moments in a race when you would hit what's called the wall. I don't know if anybody's a runner in here, but that wall is a miserable thing. And you're running, and you're striving, and you're pushing, and you're going as fast as you can, as hard as you can. And there was only one thing that helped me get through the wall, and that was the water table. Anybody ever run a race and seen that beautiful water table, right? Now, there's a trick when you're running. So when you're running and you're going to grab a cup of water, you have to hit every cup before you get the last one. So for me, I would just swipe through that whole aisle and get the last cup. And there's also a trick in how in the world do you get a cup of water into your mouth when you're running? So you try and throw it, and half of it would land on your forehead, the other half would land on my neck, and I'd get a few drops in my mouth. And there was something amazing that happened when those drops hit my mouth. It refreshed me. Not thinking I could go any further, not thinking I could go any harder, not thinking I could go any longer, and a drop of water hits my tongue, and all of a sudden, I feel refreshed. I feel energized again. Now, I never won any races. Maybe it's because I didn't get enough water, but <laughs> I always tried my best. And as we look at John 4 this morning, my hope that we'll, is that we'll see We have refreshment in the gospel. We have refreshment to our parched souls. We have refreshment because the gospel offers relief to your brokenness. That's my hope this morning. Now, for me, that relief came a little bit later in life. I was 17 years old, a mere 13 years ago, when the gospel invaded my darkness and offered me relief. I can remember as if it was yesterday the feeling of the Holy Spirit convicting me. I can remember as if it was yesterday where I was sitting, what the pastor was saying, and really how I felt he was just zeroing in on me. If I'm honest, I thought he was picking on me. If I'm honest, it was the Holy Spirit convicting my heart because up until that point, I thought I was okay. I tried to satisfy my soul with things that were temporary only to find that the lasting satisfaction is the gospel and not anything else. So at 17 years old, the gospel invaded my darkness, invaded my soul and redeemed my life. And for the last 13 years, I've navigated the journey of the Christian life. Have I fallen? Sure. Has the Lord given me grace to get back up and refreshed me again? Yes, every single time. So my hope today is that if you're a believer in the Lord, if you are a kingdom citizen, that you will take hope and joy in the fact that the gospel still offers you refreshment from your brokenness. Because if you're honest with me and if I'm honest with you, I still have baggage from my sin. I still have baggage from my past that I don't want to carry with me, but I can't seem to get it off. And sometimes that hinders my trajectory with the Lord. 
If you're not a kingdom citizen this morning, my hope is this, is that the gospel would invade your darkness. Is that the gospel would offer you relief to your brokenness, to your sin, because there's nothing that satisfies a soul like the refreshing taste of the gospel. John chapter four, it's a common passage with an, an amazing, an amazing story. John chapter four, starting in verse one. The apostle John's writing and he's gonna set the stage for what's about to happen to the woman at the well. Let's look in John chapter four, starting in verse one. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now what we don't see is we don't see the tone that John's writing in. The picture when he says he had to pass through Samaria is a picture of urgency. There was no other course that Jesus could take. Now back in Jesus' times, for a Jew to walk through Samaria was just really against the rules. You didn't do it. If you were a good practicing Jew, if you were a rabbi like Jesus was, man, there's no way you'd walk through Samaria. In fact, they would go entirely out of their way to avoid Samaria. Why? Because they hated the Samaritans. They thought they were half-breeds. They treated them subhuman. They would pray that they would die. But not Jesus. Jesus has an urgency to go to Samaria. He has an urgency to bring living water to a people that don't deserve it. He has an urgency to engage a woman at a well that he knows will be there when she shouldn't be because he knows the gospel is the only thing that satisfies her brokenness. So there's an urgency of the message. And I would venture to say that when we engage Christ and when we enter into a relationship with Jesus through the gospel, that our hearts are set aflame and afire with an urgency. When you experience redemption for the very first time, you're so excited because it's so drastically different than what you were. But oftentimes what happens is the trials of life hit us over and over and over again. And as believers, we're tempted to step back into those broken cisterns that we filled only to have them show up empty again and not trust in the living water of the gospel. So Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So the stage is set. Middle of the day, no-name village in Samaria. Jesus shouldn't be there, but he is. He's tired, which gives me hope that I can take naps throughout the day. He's wearied from his journey, sitting beside a well. So the stage is set for a miraculous story to take place. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Not an uncommon request. It's hot, never been to Israel. 
but I feel like it's a hot place. It's hot. He's worn out. He's wearied. It's not an uncommon request. But look at the response she gives. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now to us, we just read that and we think, man, it's just two strangers talking, right? And I, I, I'm not going to give you a drink if you're a stranger. I wouldn't expect you to give me a drink. But that's not the case. The woman in Samaria's response is actually saturated in sarcasm and anger and bitterness and frustration. Because to her, Jesus represented everything that had oppressed her. Remember, the Jews hated the Samaritans. There's no reason why a Jewish rabbi should be sitting at a well in Samaria in the middle of the day. Much like there's very little reason why a woman from Samaria should be going to a well in the middle of the day. So her response is full of anger and indignation and bitterness and frustration. She's carrying with her her baggage and she sets it down at the well and she says, why would you even consider asking me? Why would you even engage me in conversation? Don't you know you don't have any dealings with me? And Jesus, in the beautiful way that only Jesus does, answers her. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is more interested in winning the woman than the argument. He's more interested in engaging her below a surface level and getting to what's the heart of the issue. So he doesn't respond as culture would dictate, does he? He doesn't respond in frustration or anger or bitterness or resentment. He doesn't pull the I'm a rabbi card and you got to do it. No. He responds and says, if you only knew who you were talking to, then you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Now the picture of living water is water that satisfies. It's water that never runs dry. It's water that is eternally and always there. The woman at Samaria doesn't understand what's going on at this point, does she? One of the reasons why I love the gospel so much is that it gives me hope for my stupidity. I don't know if that's you. Maybe that's just me. But at this point, the woman at Samaria is totally lost. She has no idea what's happening. But she's been offered something greater than that well could ever satisfy. She's been offered something greater than anything that's ever been given to her in her life. How does she respond? Look at verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? She still doesn't get it. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. If we're honest with each other, it's difficult for us to accept living water because that means we no longer have control. 
If there's an eternal well welling up in my soul that isn't caused by me, isn't impacted by who I am, doesn't depend on how much time I spend with it or not, it's hard for me to relinquish myself of that. Because if I'm honest, I like doing it myself. If I'm honest, I enjoy the feeling of need that I can satisfy. But what is so beautiful about the gospel is that when it engages my brokenness, it turns that and resolves that and then creates a dependency upon Christ. The woman at the well doesn't understand. She still hasn't grasped what's going on. And Jesus is speaking to her. And if you'll notice, the conversation is going deeper and deeper and deeper. At first, it's at a surface level. Can you give me a drink? And then he goes a step further. You don't understand. You think I'm asking you for a drink, but you should really be asking me because I can give you living water that is eternally satisfying. Look at the woman's response. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jeremiah 2, 13 gives us this warning. This is a beautiful picture of the woman at the well. Jeremiah 2, 13 makes this statement. It says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. The woman at Samaria had spent her life hewing out cisterns that were broken. She'd spent her life trying to satisfy a need, a desire, an emptiness, only to come up short every time. If I'm honest, my first 17 years of life were spent trying to fill broken cisterns, fill it with whatever I wanted, Drug, sex, alcohol, it didn't matter because it was my life and I was living it for me. And whatever I wanted, that's what I pursued. And it wasn't until I recognized that my cisterns were broken that, that did I have a desire to fix them. And if I'm honest, I couldn't fix them. This woman at Samaria, at a well in the middle of the day, engages the Savior by no accident. There was no mistake that she was there. And it was no mistake that Jesus was waiting. It was no mistake that Jesus offers her something that she could never find on her own. And it was no mistake that her response is a need and a desire. Because what happens when the gospel awakens in you a spiritual need, you thirst and you hunger for it. Psalm 63.1 is a beautiful picture of a thirsting and hungering soul. Psalm 63, 1, David is writing, he says, Oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Our souls are created to long for something deeper and greater than anything we could ever have. But our souls are born with broken cisterns. And we fill and fill and fill always to come up short. So the woman at Samaria responds, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Notice what I would call the awkwardness that ensues. Did you know the Gospels can be awkward? 
I don't know if you knew that. Like, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the awkward stage of life. I have a four-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, so there's this awkward competition that goes on between them. It's a beautiful thing to watch. So just know we're about to take a look at a really awkward moment in Scripture. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Have you ever wondered what Jesus would have said if she lied? It's just, if you want to know my thoughts, like, let's get to know me a little bit. These are my thoughts when I read scripture. Like, I wonder what would happen if she would have lied. What's happening in this moment is Jesus is revealing his deity to her. And she's getting uncomfortable. Because up until this point, it wasn't personal. Up until this point, it was cultural, it was societal, it was I have my baggage, I don't like you, so we're already at odds. It wasn't personal yet. And Jesus takes it to an even deeper level. Go call your husband. I don't have a husband. That's right, you got, you've had five. And the one you're living with now, it's not your husband. And watch how she responds. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> yes, is, is the short answer to that. I perceive that you are a prophet. And then, out of nowhere, she changes the subject. You want to know one of the things I'm looking most forward to in engaging college students here in South Bend? I'm looking most forward to awkward conversations. Do you know why? Because I've found that there's so many walls and so many barriers that we put up. That there's so many roadblocks in our lives because we've learned to protect ourselves. And in college, a lot of that gets dismantled. So that when we have a conversation, it might be awkward for you, I'm loving it, okay? And I've learned that one step past that awkward moment, I'm gonna find out what's really in your soul. Because if, if we can break through that barrier, and if you can let your guard down enough to allow the gospel to shine, then what I believe we'll find is that it will offer relief to your brokenness. It will offer relief to your brokenness. It will give you newness of life. And streams of living water can well up within you. Look at her response. Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Verse 20. Out of left field, here comes, here comes a whopper. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Again, what she's done here, she's tried to sidetrack Jesus, which every time in the Gospels this happens, it doesn't work. Right? You'd think they'd learn by now. Okay, It doesn't work. So what she's saying here, she's bringing a cultural, well, cultural argument. Because to the Samaritans, the place of worship that was most holy was in Samaria. And to the Jews, the places of worship that was most holy was Jerusalem. And again, Jesus, in a beautiful way, is more interested in winning the woman than the argument. And I would say to you that Jesus is more interested in winning you than the argument. He's more interested in winning you than the argument. Because I can make up excuse after excuse after excuse, argument after argument after argument as to why I shouldn't follow Jesus. 
but his grace pursues me all the more. And he still offers relief to my brokenness. Watch Jesus respond. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Praise the Lord that I don't have to have a certain socioeconomic class to worship him. Praise the Lord that when it comes down to it, it's not Democrat or Republican that matters, it's Jesus and he's seeking people that worship him in spirit and truth. Praise the Lord that when it comes down to it, when we boil it down to this beautiful reduction sauce of the gospel, it's nothing more than worshiping in spirit and in truth. It's exciting to me to see the freedom that gives you. It's exciting to me to experience the freedom that gives me. Jesus says, it's those that worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. There's hope for me because even at this point, she still doesn't get it. I'm not that smart of a guy. And I mess up a lot. And we could have testimonies with my wife if you want. She's so gracious and beautiful. And she'd say, you know, he messes up sometimes. And I'll tell you, I mess up sometimes. And that's okay. The woman at Samaria had experienced Jesus revealing himself to her in a way that nobody else had. And she still doesn't understand who she's talking to. And look at Jesus' response in verse 26. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The woman at Samaria experienced Jesus in a radical way. And she would never be the same. If you read the rest of John chapter 4, what you're going to see is you're going to see her proclaiming Christ to her village in such a passionate way that they actually all follow her back to the well to see who she's talking about. Again, we don't maybe grasp the importance of that. Nobody would listen to an adulteress who had been married five times and was living with somebody that wasn't her husband in ancient Israel. She was second class to even her culture. But she had experienced Jesus in such a radically transformative way that as she goes back to her village, she says, guys, Let's get on this boat. We gotta go, we gotta go, we gotta go. Come with me to the well and experience what I've just seen. Because what happens is, as our souls are ransomed, we respond in worship. As our souls are ransomed, we respond in worship. It's interesting, in Colossians chapter one, Paul makes a beautiful statement about our souls being ransomed. He says, for you have been ransomed from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And when you experience that, you're never the same. You're never the same. Do you still have brokenness? Yes. Do you still have baggage? Yes. In fact, I bet you I have enough baggage to fill this stage right now. But it's not about who I was. It's about what I'm becoming and who I am in Christ. It's not about what I've done. 
It's not about my sins of my past. It's about me fixing my eyes upon Christ and striving towards that end. Because out of my soul flows rivers of living water. Later on in John chapter 7, he's at, Jesus is actually going to make the statement that if you believe like the scriptures have said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. So the question this morning is what in the world are we doing with the rivers of living water? Are we allowing the gospel? Are we allowing the gospel to restore you and offer relief to your brokenness? Because even if you're a believer, you need to hear that you're not on your own and that your brokenness is very real. My brokenness is very real. And apart from the saving grace of the gospel and reminding myself every day, every moment of my weakness and my disdain and my sin, I'd be trying to fill up broken cisterns still. And if you've never experienced the redemption of the gospel, look at the woman at the well. Look at the lengths at which Jesus went. He had to go through Samaria. Why? Because he had to talk to that woman. He had to talk to that woman. So my hope this morning is that you would see that the gospel offers relief to your brokenness. The gospel offers relief to the brokenness in your family. The gospel offers relief to the brokenness in your marriage. The gospel offers relief to the brokenness in your children. The gospel offers relief to brokenness. But if we don't grasp that and allow rivers of living water to flow through our hearts, then we will live in brokenness. So I'd ask us four questions this morning. The first question I would ask us as we look and consider the woman at the well and what Jesus did, I would ask, has the gospel invaded your brokenness to offer relief from sin? Has the gospel invaded your brokenness to offer relief from sin? Again, it's easy for me 13 years into this Christian life to be tempted to go back to my broken cisterns. I need to be reminded that the gospel still offers me relief, that the sweet, satisfying taste of Jesus is better than any sin I could partake in. Has the gospel invaded your brokenness to offer you relief from sin? The second question I would ask, looking at the woman at the well and seeing her baggage, is what past or present situations or sins push you to distrust God's care for you? There have been seasons in our life that I've honestly wanted to shake my fist at God. Last year was a season for our family. My wife was terribly sick. Again, I have a four-year-old who's crazy. And I have a, my, my daughter wasn't one and a half then. She was like four months old, so she was still very much a, new, a newborn. And my wife contracted Lyme's disease, and she was out. She was gone. Couldn't walk, couldn't move. And there were moments in that season where I really wanted to shake my fist at God. I wanted to say, don't you see what's going on? I don't deserve this. My wife doesn't deserve this. But in those darkest moments, I was reminded of the grace of the gospel. And instead of shaking my fist at the Lord, 
responded in asking him to use this for his glory and his renown. Even though it's miserable, even though I don't understand it, and now watching my wife as she ministers to others and has the ability to engage them at a level that I never have been, it's been beautiful. So what past or present situations and sins push you to distrust God's care for you? Because at a base, rudimentary level, understand that God cares for you greater than anything you will ever know or ever experience, even if you don't understand it. The third would be this, it, the gospel is attractive to a parched soul. Psalm 63, one again, it's attractive to a parched soul. Think about running a race. That glimpse of water is attractive to your parched mouth. The gospel is attractive eternally to a parched soul. How am I proclaiming the living water of Jesus to myself and those around me? Because we've been given rivers of living water. But at times we try and stifle it and dam it up, don't we? But the beautiful thing about living water is that it's always welling up. It's always coming to the surface. And the last question that I would ask would be this. If you're a believer in Jesus, if you are a kingdom citizen, if the gospel message has invaded your brokenness, invaded your darkness, and if you are Jesus' child, then understand that redeemed people worship because their souls have been ransomed. What is your worship like to the Lord? What is your worship like to the Lord? The Samaritan woman responded in worship by gathering those around and bringing them back to Jesus. And the disciples didn't even get it at that point. Read the rest of John 4. They're actually pretty frustrated. But Jesus goes out of his way to engage a woman that he shouldn't have been there, he shouldn't have engaged, because he cares more about the woman than anything else. And I would say this, he cares more about you than anything else. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that you have given us to experience newness of life. We're grateful for the grace that we've been extended. Father, I pray this morning that as we reflect on and see that the gospel offers relief to the broken, that you would restore broken hearts, souls, and minds this morning. For the believers, those that are your children, Father, may you remind them of the satisfying taste of living water that you offer. May you remind them that they can still bring their hurts, their pains, their brokenness to the foot of the cross and only there experience reconciliation and relief. Father, I pray this morning that hearts would be stirred and awakened to their need for Jesus. Lord, may we take this message as the woman at the well took it and respond by unleashing rivers of living waters in our families, in our homes, in our communities, wherever we may go. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.